I think it's great to make your kids feel strong. And I think it's very important to let them fall down. I, I, I don't like this whole protecting, protecting, let them fall down. They're going to get up, you know? And if they don't get up the first time, they'll get up the second time. Like I fell down a ton. I failed so many things, so many things. And if I turned right and I fell, then I got up and I turned left. Shalom and welcome to Momish, the oi and joy of parenting with Lori and Hala. I'm your host, Lori Fine, here with my friend and co-host, Hala Rbizadeh Resnick, here to talk to you about the real deal family life. We're super duper excited today to be joined by another friend of mine, Natalie Sapinski, who is American by birth. Grew up in Delaware, made Aliyah at a young age, then came back, got married, had a couple kids, made Aliyah again with her husband, and now resides in Susia, which is a little small town called the Yeshuv in the sort of southern part of Judea and Samaria. So she has both a really interesting life story and a really interesting family parenting story about being a parent in a whole other environment and really excited to have her here today to talk about a lot of that stuff. So Natalie, introduce yourself a little. Tell us about what you're doing these days. I mean, the other thing I love about Natalie is that you're always doing something new. Since I met you, it's all of a piece, but it's, you know, you never know what day it's going to be with Natalie. It could be the day she's teaching Zumba or running a swimming pool and being a lifeguard, or it could be the day that she's going and, you know, fundraising for Hatzalah, which is the ambulance in Israel, or it could be she's, you know, hanging out with friends or comforting people after, God forbid, a terrorist attack. And so every day with Natalie is something really fascinating and new. And I, can't wait to see what you're, where are you at today, Natalie? Okay, you, you make me sound a lot more exciting than I actually am. <clears throat> but thank you, Laurie. Thank you both for having me. What, where am I today? I just came back from Arad. Two of my kids are home and Arad is like half an hour away. It's like a big town for us. I was just there. I took them swimming during the day. One of them is a, what can I say? My 15-year-old daughter left her high school a couple of weeks ago and she's looking for a new one. And my son is a senior. He has senioritis. He takes off the first day of every week because, hey, I have no classes. So I took them swimming and I just got here in time. But yeah, it's not so and exciting. how old are your other here. children? Okay, so they go, I had them all in the 2000s, so 2001, 3, 5, 7, 9. The way you and I talk about each other's kids is pretty funny how we talk the year they were born. <laughs> so my youngest is 13. My oldest is 21. Got it. I have five. And you have boys, girls? I have four boys and a girl. Nice. Ah, who's the oldest? Girl, it goes boy, 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 girl, boy. So a pretty boy heavy house, huh? It's all boy. It's oh, all yeah. boy. I know. The I, the same way. I have the same situation. Oh, One girl, yeah. four boys. It's a complete oh, boy house. <laughs> yeah, it's super fun. I love it. I love it. Awesome. Okay, yeah. so let's say we're already getting a sense that you're a little bit chill about if they miss a little bit of school. <laughs> totally. I don't know if every parent is like that. You know, you get the same 
type of variety of parents here that I think you get there. Also, you know, you see these chats, the women open up the chats, the parent chat on WhatsApp, and you see the class, each class or each group here at Spinea Kiva. So the class, the age, the parents have their own chat. And you see sometimes these women, they're going on, when are they going to come home? Who, who is taking ice? Who's taking drinks? Who's taking chicken? All these little questions. I don't get involved in that at all. I'm like, what is wrong with these women? Don't they have anything to do? Some women, even here, are not chill. Some women want to micromanage their kids. I'm not like that at all. I'm very hands off. I, you know, let them figure it out themselves. My kids are very independent. A lot of Israeli kids are very independent. I think it might be a generational thing. Maybe it's changing a little bit, but in general, my kids are very, they, they do their own thing. They're, they're, they, you know, they take the bus, they go out. My 15 year old has been to Sinai twice. He's been to Cyprus, I think you call it, on a boat. He he's flown on his own to Greece. They do their own vacations pretty much. You know, also we don't have family here. So we, you know, don't have that anchor. No grandparents, no cousins. Natalie, quick question for you. You said that also in Israel, the same as America, there's all kinds of parents, right? The ones that are more hands-on and hands-off. Do you find that you see any kind of pattern? The ones who have like your laid back chill sense? Do they have, are they working or not working? Do they have more or less kids? Is there, do they have harder or easier issues? Do you see anything like that? Or is it just across the board? Do you think it's like, you know, I, I, I see, I think the foreigners are more chill. We have some here from Holland, their kids run around with no shoes. I don't even think they can speak Hebrew. Half these kids, like totally long hair and same thing. They don't have they don't have it together so much, you know, the parents, maybe they're struggling like we are kind of to find our way here. The Israelis are the ones I see. They're so spoiled. And I say spoiled. Maybe it's not spoiled. Maybe the different word, but they have parents, they have sisters, they have brothers, they have uncles, they have aunts, they have protexia, they have connections. They know things like we don't, you know, they know how to find a gardener. They know how to talk to him. They know how to negotiate. They know what schools are best. Because their uncle, their cousin, their nephew, they went there. They know all the words to the songs. I don't. <laughs> I so relate to that because I was that foreigner in America. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard. Yeah. But we have different methods and I guess a different set of standards. And um, I just, I, you know, I, I, I think my kids have a hard time judging and comparing other parents. They totally make fun of me. They make fun of my accent. I'm the lifeguard here for 11 years. And everybody makes fun of me. The way, the way, the things I say, like for instance, this is pretty funny. There's a nice way of saying, don't put a naked baby in the pool, put clothes on your child. So the other lifeguard would say something, a beautiful sentence, put clothes in your child. No, nobody should be without clothes. I, the way I say it, no naked. Okay. <laughs> but in Hebrew, in Hebrew, because those are the words I know, right? I'm very, very direct. And yeah, but they get the idea, you know? There you go. You know what? It all comes out the same in the wash. (laughs) Exactly. Well, when you say it's hard for your kids, can you explain a little bit more how you mean? Like, do they feel like they are don't fit in with the other kids, or they just? What do you mean when you say that? Oh, they fit in. They're they don't have a like we don't go on vacations. We don't go. Everybody in the summer goes on vacation, and where are they going? They're going to the grandparents. They're going to their aunts. They're going to their uncles. They're going to. These people, they're they're and, and and when you say family, let me just tell you, I have five kids, and my family here is small. Five kids is small for where I live. People my age, I'm 52. They all have seven, six, seven, eight. So I I know like may sound big to you, but here it's kind of small. And uh, so all people my age have big families too. Like there are people I have friends who come from people. They're one of 13. They're one of 10. 
So there are lots of, a lot of uh, celebrations, a lot of simchas, and a lot of uncles and aunts, places they go. We don't have that. We don't have that. We have that in America. We don't have that here. And that is what I say. My kids are upset. They, they really, they, they miss family. They have no cousins here, no grandparents, nobody to spoil them. Other house, you know, it's just right. us. Yeah. So, I mean, that obviously is part and parcel of your choice to leave your home family because you do have sisters and you do have parents Mm -hmm. and to move to another place. And when you say you don't go on vacation, do you ever bring your children back to the United States to visit the family? We have, but we can't anymore. I mean, we can, but I have two boys in the army now. Another one is going to go in a year. They can't do it anymore. They they can't, they get permission. The permission is so flimsy. If something comes up, they get retracted. They So we can't, we can't. If I go, they're not coming. That's okay. I can leave two kids here. But we did come back for years and it's extremely expensive. You know, we have, we don't have American salaries. Both of us are Israeli, Israeli salaries. And so my parents would help us. So we did, I think we came back for eight, eight times. Okay. And did your children feel that grounding in family when they came here? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, they know my parents more than my siblings. My sis- my siblings have all, they're all over the place. I have one in Washington, one in California, and one in Northern New York. So it's not like when we came in, everybody gathered. I'm close with my siblings, but the kids don't know each other. And, you know, it's very typical. And I, I think this is true. I don't know if it's like that here in Israel. I don't think so. But in, in America, people are very much into their schedules and they need to schedule early and ahead of time. And if it doesn't work out, I mean, we've gone there, my husband's family, they like wouldn't take their kids out of school to see us. They're very into, you know, they're not like me. Okay. They're not like me. Not family here is very, uh, in Israel in general, I think you know this. I think this is known thing. Family is very important. So what's something that family would do there that they wouldn't do here? You're saying taking out of school, something like that. Oh, I'll tell you an example. Parties in the school, when your kid is in three years old, four years old, a gun birthday party, both parents go. Okay. I mean, it's like expected. There's a kid's chair in the front and he's like the Malka, he's the queen. And there's a two chairs next to him. And that's for the mother and the father and parents get off work to go to their kid's birthday party in the gun. <laughs> and that is very normal and regular and excusable thing, which I think is crazy, right? Totally normal. That's starting in America, right? Because I, I think there's a expectation with this generation of the dads to be involved and also they want to be involved. I, I do though relate to what you're saying about the spontaneity of Israeli society versus American society. That That's caused like all kinds of scheduling stuff because I'm originally from Iran and culturally it's very much the same as Israel. And when you come into America, America is so scheduled, right? Versus Israel. But the love is still there, and the, and I'm sure your kids felt it when they came. This is interesting because this gets into something that, and I, I feel the same way. I've had that situation where you visit a extended family, and and they're not taking time off, and you're like, what the heck did we fly out here for? I get that, but I also think there, you know, it's a question of your priorities and how much, you know, where are you going to put it? One of the things that my husband and I were talking about this week was the concept of quality time versus quantity time. And sometimes the need to schedule so closely led to the idea of quality time, which mm, at least my husband and I completely do not believe in at all in terms of our parenting. We're just sort of like, you can never expect that 
your mood and your kid's mood and the thing you want to have done are going to match up at exactly the time that you've decided to schedule for whatever it is. We're big believers in like, you need a lot of, you know, loosey goosey time that maybe something will actually connect at the right time that your kid doesn't have homework or they're not in a bad mood or they're not in the mood to do something else. I, I really struggled with that when I was working, when my kids were little, I had some years where I didn't work at all and some years where I worked a little bit and some years where I worked quite intensively and the intensive years, like, forget it. You can't expect like you're going to come home and be in that mood. It's a difficult thing. And one that's one reason why I love Shabbat, I feel like is such a gift because we have carved that time out as a whole day of being together. And that's, I think, one of the things that has really built our family life. Yeah, I, I think you're you're right. I tend to, like I said, you see, take my kids out of school and do things that are very regular things. I mean, a car ride. Okay. I had my kid who was home from the army for five days. I had him take me to a cocktail party so I could drink. And another kid came with us just to be together. I shouldn't say it, but I know that's why. And another kid piled it, just a car ride, just to be together in the car, just because mm-hmm. we were all there at the same time. And it's so rare. It's so rare that we're all there at the same time. So let's go, let's go, go, you know, who's, who's coming? <laughs> we're hoping they'll get like a hamburger out of it or something. But it's nice that your cocktail party friends are happy to have all your kids right. come along. No, they didn't go. Oh, they didn't go. My kids went shopping. They went to the mall. They oh. dropped me off. Oh, wow. My kids yeah, drive. That is special. That yeah. is special. So, so I look at little kind of windows of opportunity to kind of throw them together because the kids kind of go off on their own very, very early here. That I think maybe we'll get into that. But when you're in eighth grade, you go off here. You go to boarding school basically. And so nobody's at home. People just come home for Shabbat. Can I just like backtrack for a second? You say that in Israel, when you're in eighth grade, you go to boarding school. Now, is that because you live in a this community? It's not the case for all of Israel, that all kids in Israel at eighth grade go to boarding school, right? right. It's, it's, it's a few things. It's because of where I live and there is no school day where you can go every day here. And it's, we're modern Orthodox. We're, uh, we're called Datilumi, national religious. So that style a lot of kids do go away. They dorm. And that's very regular, very normal. Even if I did live in a city, people who live in the cities also do that, but we don't have a choice here. There's no option to really go. The closest city is an hour away. So your kids went to boarding school in eighth grade. They're still there. Yeah. And you grew up in America in American public schools. Right. Do they come home every weekend? Not every, most. They have like, you know, five Shabbats there, but here's what happens. They start making friends my friend, this is my kids. I don't know of all kids, but my kids make friends all over the country with these kids they go to school with. So they often go Shabbat there. Someone has an empty house or someone invites them over. I don't see them. Right. So yeah. So they're, you know, traveling all over the place, living out of a duffel bag, traveling all over the place <laughs> often. Yeah. So sometimes we'll have like, you know, one kid home, two kids home. We rarely have them all. So would you say that your kids today are close with each other? Yeah, I think they are. They, I know they have their own WhatsApp chat without me. <laughs> And close. Yeah. I I hope they get closer. Like I said, they each kind of go off in their own directions. They do share rooms, but they're different. They're different. They're all different. One of the things that Hala and I talk about a lot on this podcast is how, you know, kids sort of come with their own software and they have this personality built in. 
and they are really different from each other. And yet you grow up as a family and you have certain things that the family does together and that, you know, contributes to sort of a family personality. I wonder if you could tell us some stories about something that to you demonstrates the difference between some of your kids or a story that shows how your family connected. Well, I mean, we have stories and they've always like bring them up and everyone will laugh because of the one time this one story was told on Shabbat and mommy didn't get it. And she came in like an hour late with a asking a question. Okay. Like they all make fun of me. They all have nicknames for each other, but I do see it's so funny. I, I the oldest and the second used to kind of get together and the, the first and the third would get together. And the second boy was so different so different and he'd be left out. And I saw the third boy gave the first boy a lot of self-confidence. I would see this happening, you know, and my second boy didn't hit tons of self-confidence, you know, so you do see people, I did this in my own family, you know, you gang up, some of people, some kids get along more than others, but it's, you know, they have their own, I guess, little conversations. They have their own fights. I'm not privy to any of this, really. I I stay out of it. (laughs) Wow. Well, I mean, I, you know, we always tell these stories in our family over and over again that I think the reason why we're always telling them is because they seem to demonstrate something fundamental about the kids. For example, my oldest girl, she is very verbal and she always loved to write and to speak and always, you didn't have to tell her to use her words because it was the only thing she ever used. And that daughter ended up being a art history student at Harvard University. And then my second daughter, from a tiny age, she... She was very late to talk, but she was very early to walk, and she would just DIY. She did everything herself, and now she's in the Israeli army, and I feel, you know, we have this this little story from when they were little that we made cookies one time when they were toddlers and Aviva was maybe three or four and would say, mommy, please can I have another cookie? I just want another cookie. And I promise I'll eat my dinner. I'll eat my vegetables. I'll do whatever you say. Just please, please, please. Meanwhile, as she's having this conversation with me, Marguerite, who was like a year and a half, goes, gets a stool, climbs up on a chair, gets on the counter, puts her hand in the cookie jar, grabs a couple cookies, climbs all the way back down, hands Aviva a cookie, puts one in her mouth and keeps going. And Aviva's standing there holding the cookie saying, mommy, can I eat it? I'm like, if you're still asking, then the answer is still no. Can you learn a lesson from your little sister? <laughs> and sometimes wow. just eat the cookie. So, you know, wow. and I, and I <laughs> actually think, I think they're still like that in a lot of ways. You know, Aviva wants a clear, defined path and mm. wants to know like, what's the next step? And then she's really good with it, you know, but, and Margalee, she just wings it and she lets us know she went to Israel thinking, maybe I'll go in the army, maybe, I don't know. Then it was no, it was COVID year. And then the next thing we know, she calls us right after the Passover Seders. And she's like, hey, guess what? I'm going to be staying for another two years. I joined the army, guys. Okay, I'll talk to you later. We're getting used to this from her. So I do think that those personalities from when they're little do stick with them and and kind of guide how they are later in life. I don't know. I don't know. We, my second boy is San Hanim. Okay. He's a paratrooper. And he was like the dumb one, the weird one, not good at sports. Everybody called him dumb. All the kids called him dumb. He was the one who was supposed to go on Ritalin. And he's the one who's a paratrooper. All right. He's the one who played the saxophone and went to music yeshiva. And he's the one who went and became a lifeguard. And he has blossomed and very self-confident. Okay. And everybody was always telling him dumb. You know, he's a second kid. Just like I was a second kid. My sister called me dumb. I'm pretty confident. I think kids change. It's so interesting that you say that, Natalie. I feel exactly like you do. And the one thing I would say to my kids all the time is, 
You might like this today. You might not like it tomorrow. We all change. We all grow. We're constantly evolving. And I, I was so concerned about them kind of labeling themselves that that was the only, I continuously said to them, you change, I change. You don't like the taste of this. Here, try this food again. And my son actually would say to me, why, why are you making me try this again? You know, I hate it. But it's a year and a half later. Maybe you like it now. I'm making the food. I'm never not going to make it because you say you don't. So I completely hear you on that. The one thing, though, I would say to them is that the only thing that cannot change about you and the only thing that I'm going to guarantee that you have in you is your Jewish values and what your ethics and values are internally. That is not to change. That is to stay who you are, because I think as parents, that's the character we can put in them. But I'm with you, Natalie, that we're constantly evolving and changing. Maybe it's because we both immigrated. Yeah. I've just seen myself change. My parents change. Everything's always been in flux, right? Oh, look, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that they're stuck in their way forever. I'm simply saying that there are certain personality traits that they you know, tend to lean on and develop, and they come out in different ways. But for sure, I mean, I remember having a friend who daughter was really really into ballet when she was about four and she was sort of turning herself into circles to make sure she could get to the best ballet classes and I was like how many years do you think she's going to want to be a ballerina when she grows up I mean that's something that's really common among four-year-olds and really not that common among adults you know are you sure I mean how much are you going to pour into this and naturally her kid two years later wanted to only be a gymnast when she grew up and it was sort of she would run with whatever the current interest was so I, I get that I they're not they don't stay that way forever and I 100% think they need to keep trying and and testing out things I just uh, I do see their little personalities in some ways stick with them one of my kids who was like very the way you described your second son Natalie you know I think sometimes kids who are very thoughtful and internal and they come across as kind of spacey, but it doesn't mean there's not a lot of wheels turning behind the scenes. For sure, for sure. They wanted him to go on Ritalin because they say he was a dreamer and wasn't paying attention, you know? So what did you, so I'd love to hear how you dealt with that. Did you put him on Ritalin? Did you, what did you do? Well, we had the meetings with the teachers and everybody thinks they know everything and I'm the dumb American, right? And I like, I'm so, you know, I, I, I was like, yeah, not, not interested. In Ritalin, I also had, I think, ADHD. I could not do TV and t- homework at the time. Never did anything about that. And look, I'm a lawyer, so not interested. <laughs> they were just like, and I would always tell them, you know, I was a horrible student. I was, I was C average, barely got into college, didn't need Ritalin. So not, not interested. That's and, awesome. Uh, well, maybe, I mean, look, did your kids ever say, well, what, maybe you should have had the Ritalin and you Well, uh... of course, of course. So, and he, and we tried it one day, one pill. He did not have an appetite and he said, I don't want it. I said, good, fine. I have a, I have a tough time with Ritalin since you brought it up and the whole ADD business, because I do think as you were telling, as Lori was introducing you and, and describing everything that you've done, I actually thought to myself before you said anything, oh gosh, I wonder if she is ADD or ADHD or something, because it's, you're doing so many different things, juggling it, moving it around, like going from place to place. And it's such a life of adventure and so extraordinary. I also think that it takes somebody who can juggle these things in their heads. And it is like, it is people who have ADD. So like, it upsets me when we are constantly going after medicating people, because I don't think I should be in a particular mold. Like, thank 
to your curiosity and interest and running around. And the fact that your son is a paratrooper probably has something to do with the fact that he's able to focus on lots of things at the same time. And it is because of the way his brain works. So I... Yeah. Yeah. I, just, I, I never, yeah, I, I was never into the medicine, but it's a gift. It's a gift. If you, if it's inhibiting you from being able to function. So yeah, I yeah. do think um, yeah. I have a daughter who loves the, uh, she struggles a little bit emotionally and she want, seems to always want to have a diagnosis. And I'm like, look, what is the likelihood that someone who's doing as well as you are has 12 mental illnesses and she says well maybe you would have done better if you had had the <laughs> medicine mom you're pretty spacious yourself right. I'm like I think I'm all right you know like right. I made it through I didn't even right. have extra time on any tests you know like right. every other kid these days <laughs> right. so but it is definitely a generational attitude about it and yeah, you know you see sure. a lot of that I I mean look I don't know who's right but you know I wonder I kind of feel like thinking of myself as fine despite my flaws and just deciding that you know everybody's got strengths and everybody has flaws and you just got to move on from it and do the best you can with whatever strengths you've been given to me I find a healthier way of looking at things than to think of yourself as having as being sick and unable to I mean I feel it's just very you know disempowering or weakening to think of yourself yeah. as having something wrong that only a doctor can fix about you oh yeah Oh, Ritalin is very popular here. I, my kids have all told me, they're like, if, if you ask wow. the kids how many are on Ritalin, I mean, a, blow, a bunch of hands go up. It's like a normal thing, which is also right. horrible. Like, what is, what is, you people? why, it's why do you have to give your kids this medicine? What, you know? Well, it's not just Ritalin, but yeah, medication, I think is extremely, 100%. and also, I mean, I don't know, do they do the accommodations in Israel? Do they have that situation? Not at the, not at the low level, but I know in college they do, in the universities they do. Yeah. In college they do. Yeah. You get a translation. Wow. Um, you get to maybe more time. Right. Um, maybe I, in high school, I know they do. You can put your head down on your desk and get away with it in some places. Yeah. Our high school, you know, my kids go to a really fantastic Jewish day school and they had recognized that there were so many kids getting accommodations that it was almost like only a couple of kids left that didn't get accommodations. I mean, it wasn't that bad, but there was just so many that they decided to switch the way they do tests entirely. Now yeah. there's like a set period every week. That's the only time a teacher can give a test. There's a schedule for it. And it's right before either a free period or a lunch. So anybody who wants to stay more can just eat into their lunch or their free period instead of selecting kids to, you know, get a letter that says that they're entitled to it. It's interesting. That's an interesting um, model. My, my kids are in public school and in public school right now, everybody does get accommodations, but it, it can be chaotic, which I guess is what your day school was responding to. In the middle school, kids are constantly walking in and out of the classrooms all the time. And it's very disruptive to learning. So I definitely do think that some of the this needs to be rethought. One of the things you mentioned earlier that the people around you have many, many children and huge families, is that for, do they come from a particular ethnic background or is it a religious thing? Like what, how did that happen to? No, we, I live in a religious issue. It's a Dati issue. It's an Israeli issue. And everyone here is religious. You have to be religious to live here. There's a there's a screening process to get in. You have to be oh, accepted. You They had to be voted. And you have to live here a year, actually, before you even are allowed to buy a home. When we came here, there were 70 families. Now there are 200. So that rule is changing, but there's still an admissions process or screening. There's a VOD, you know, a committee to let you in. And 
we had to take a handwriting analysis. We had to spend a Shabbat here and we had to be interviewed by that committee. Wow. Oh, very interesting. Okay. I've never heard of such a thing. Oh, all the Yishuvim. Yeah. All the small Yishuvim do that. Some are even much more. I mean, I heard some places I won't name which even check your bank accounts. Natalie, I've got a question for you. Thanks to Lori, we're meeting through this podcast, but I did a little bit of research on you before, and I saw that you, you'd you done in the past a radio show. It mm -hmm. was about Aliyah and the beautiful, mm -hmm. wonderful things about making Aliyah and how incredible it is. And I'm sitting here listening to you, and I always, by the way, you know, wanted to make Aliyah, did not make it, and here I am in America listening to you thinking, oh my God, there is no way. I want to make Aliyah. <laughs> like this sounds like really hard. I go there. I'm by myself. I'm going to tell kids not to be naked when I'm supposed <laughs> to be a little bit nicer, right? I got, and now I got to like go through this whole process just to like find a place to live. They got to accept me into the neighborhood. So, <laughs> I, you know, can you tell me why? Well, why you've done what you've done? Oh, yes, a few things. I'll tell you. I remember when I was 18. I grew up in Wilmington, as Laurie told you, conservative Jewish family. And my family has been in Wilmington for generations. I was like third generation. I'm like, you know, in the history books, first Jews in Wilmington were there. And I had cousins growing up. And every year at the Passover Seder, as I got older, my cousins, they were all girls. My cousins were all girls. We, my family's three girls and a boy. Right. They would bring boyfriends as they got older. And none of them were Jewish. Okay. None of the boyfriends are Jewish. They were like a reform. My mother was raised reform and my dad was conservative. So we were like more conservative, but still I didn't like it. I didn't like it. And I knew there was something wrong with it. And I thought, and I remember I was like about 18 and I was like, if I stay here, that's going to happen to me. Oh, I went to college. I met an Israeli. I was going to go to France for a year at this Israeli. He's like, no, you should go to Israel. I was like, why? He's like, it's great. It's beautiful. It's romantic. I don't know what he told me. And I went that third year, instead of going to France or wherever I was going to go, I went to Israel. I actually took Hebrew as a language in college and I uh, went to Israel. I went to Hebrew university for one year. I was the first person in my family to go to Israel wow. and I didn't have any expectations. And I met people from all over the world and Jews who were like very strong. And I I'll tell you this, I was raised to be quiet about being Jewish. I mean, I was, wow. quiet. I was, I was not the one who raised her hand in class and said, you can't have a test that day. It's Rosh Hashanah. That wasn't me. Okay. I was embarrassed by her. Okay. Right. I was the one, I had a non-Jewish boyfriend, always blonde, blue eyed, non-Jewish drummer. You know, I went to YMCA camp. Okay. I did not go to Ramah, but I went to Israel and I, I, I didn't know anything. And I saw these very strong Jews from around the world, especially from South America, very strong Brazil, Mexico, all them, Chile, Venezuela, loved them. South Africans I met, Australia, Canada, English speakers, France, you know, everybody was foreign. And uh, the Israelis who were also in our dorm, there was like one room of Israelis were like 26 years old, you know, and super mature. And I was super jealous. I was like, wow, they're like serious. They were serious. They weren't being silly, no, no, nothing. They were totally serious. The Americans, I got to say, were, were embarrassing. Went out drinking every night type of thing, hangovers. I didn't even know that. I didn't know because I was like learning my verbs and stuff all by myself, like this nerd, you know, but I would go to class and I was, un I didn't understand why their heads were always down. Like their heads were on their desk. They were drinking every night. And anyway, I wanted to, I wanted to be like very cosmopolitan. I wanted to be Israeli. I wanted to be mature. I wanted to be strong. I had been told to be quiet and like not proud and strong. So I, so I decided, you know, I'm definitely going to move here. And I went back to the States. I finished my senior year. I actually became like an intern for the international department 
and I had to make speeches about learning abroad and everything. And I made Aliyah when I finished grad. When I graduated college, I made Aliyah on July fifteenth, and um, I was not religious or anything. I went to a kibbutz. I had to get a resume. I had to like type out a resume. I had to get by. I had to get by, and I did. I got by. I learned Hebrew like on the job. You know, I took like a Hebrew ulpan to the kibbutz. Everybody was Russian. You know, I got by. I, I learned like my three <laughs> sentences that I needed to for the interviews. You know, I knew so how to how type. Does that- how does that like, getting by and I love how you describe just sort of wanting to be that strength. I love how you talk about your the nerd studying verbs when you just told us a minute ago that you were the C student in high school. You know, how that motivation to be part of something that's bigger than you was enough to motivate you to do things that you maybe didn't care to do in the past. I wonder what advice you would give since we mainly have an American audience. You know, how would you advise people who are thinking about what they want to do with their kids, thinking about how they want to raise their kids. What do you think are some things that you've learned along this process that you feel are like so essential and that you would advise people who are trying to infuse that meaning in their kids' lives? And we're living in this post-COVID time where it's, you know, people are very readjusting and figuring things out. So what, what advice would you have for people? Wow. I, I don't, I'm not kind when it comes to advice. So I, I don't give advice. Because, <laughs> like, like who the hell am I? You know, yes, I, I, of the pole. I okay. mean, right. I, uh, I'm like, you know, I'll tell you this. I used to, before I was a lifeguard here, I took the kids to the pool and it's here split. So it's divided. There's a word, nifredit. It's, it's women's time or men's time. Okay. And I had little kids when we moved here, I had little kids are all under the age of five. So we had four hours, four hours, right? So I was standing there at the pool for four hours. And then I would sit like under a tree outside the pool for another four hours. I was with my kids a lot. But the other mothers would say to me, and they, they didn't do that. They were, I don't know, talking or I don't know. Natalie, they said, Natalie, how can you be here so much with your kids? When do you cook? When do you clean? That's what they said. And I said, who said I cook? Who said I clean? They like were shocked. Like, these are like the things they do. So I'll, my, my advice to mothers. And this is, I, I think kids grow up so fast and they absorb so much from everyone around them, from the good and the bad, right? I, I think spending time with them and building memories with them, no matter how silly or how boring is so important. And I don't think the cooking and the cleaning is that important. And yeah, my house is a bit of a mess. Food is yeah the same every week. Lots of leftovers, lots of, you know, we have you know, cheese toast, you know, I'm not a great cook. Okay. I said it, but I think that's not the most important thing. I read a lot of books to my kids. We always played Uno. I taught them how to play cards. They climbed trees at a very young age. We were climbing on the rocks out by the Arabs behind us. I, 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 I like to do things. And I don't mean like structure and I didn't take them to this fancy place. I mean, I, we did a picnic on the rocks. That was like a thing. Let's go make tea on the hill. That was like a thing. So I like to do like simple things. I don't think it needs to be so structured. Thank you. You made me cry. (laughs) (laughs) No seriousness, because, you know, I think about when I was going through with my kids and I also spent a lot of time with them at home. And I think as moms, we put so much pressure on ourselves, be at home, work, do this. Am I doing the right thing? Am I giving them enough like high level activities or just like digging in the dirt, right? And uh, I think I share a lot of similar philosophies as you. And it's, 
I always felt very alone in doing it. So it's nice to hear, who knows how our kids will turn out, but it's just nice to hear that there's somebody else who did it my way. <laughs> yeah, it's true. There aren't, there aren't, there aren't any, there aren't any. I was like... very lucky because Natalie, you know my, well, both of you know my sister who's fantastic. And we had a lot of time together where we spent every summer and, you know, crammed into like the tiniest rental at the Jersey Shore where we'd have seven kids sharing one big bed and every day exactly the same. Like we'd get up in the morning, we'd take a loaf of bread, make it all into peanut butter sandwiches, put it back in the bag and take it to the beach. And that's what you ate if you were hungry. Boom. Right, right. And, you know, one time the kids discovered Nutella and then they're like, oh, can we have that instead? It was like, whoa, changing the system here. But it's it's true. I, I do think that those those memories, even though they're not necessarily so differentiated, it's just one big glob of times together. But that I think is, is so strengthening for the kids. You know? Oh, I'll tell you one other thing this we didn't talk about, but in Israel, and you may know this, they don't really have day camp or overnight camp the way it's so a big deal in America. So here, like the kids have the, something they called kitana, which is camp, okay, which is horrible okay it's like run by teenagers who honestly have chocolate fights with the kids it's just to keep the kids busy and it's only for like two weeks in july or three weeks in july and i always saw i think maybe i put my kids in there once but i saw what they did and i saw it was just gar- it's just garbage it, it was worse than babysitting so what i did when my kids were young i had my oldest boy make his own camp who was in the camp his sisters and brothers and like one other girl, you know, or maybe one other kid. And, and, and I helped to make a whole program. And even like my second son was like the drawing teacher. So they even had like a drawing lesson. I mean, it's so funny. And I tried to organize him, but he, they remember that. And he, he made money. I paid him and every parent, I don't know, six shekel or something. He remembered, he, he so got funny. a lot of responsibility from that. And, and people told me, they said, and nobody else did this. I think in America people do this, but nobody did it here. And people said, I saw your kids marching around the issue in a line. Also, there nobody goes in, nobody walks in a line here. I and mean, there's so many things that are different. There's no lining up. <laughs> there's no, there's no like order. You know, like if you ever go to a school here, you'd be like horrified. Just, kids just running around. I don't know. The teachers are always kind of like together and the kids are like alone. It was very <laughs> rough. It's very rough growing up here. And the way the children speak to each other is so rough. The, 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 it's just so, it's so, uh, I mean, I, I think it's hilarious. I, I, the way they curse and the way they, the, the slang is just so demeaning. They put each other down so budget and they get built up from that. Okay. Yeah, I, it. I think it's great. I think it's great. I was raised fighting every day after dinner. My older sister would pick me up by my ponytail and drag me up the stairs. I remember laughing so hard because it hurt, but it made, I laughed because I could imagine what I looked like. Okay. I didn't, I didn't cry. I laughed. She pulled me by my ponytail up the stairs <laughs> and, and it was just, so, it, it was so funny to me. And then we both beat up my younger sister and throw pencils in her eyes. I mean, we were just horrible, <laughs> so funny. But, but I think that's very, very natural. And the way you should hear the way they talk at the Shabbos table. I mean, my husband's Hebrew isn't as good as mine. Thank God, because they are just that. I mean, piece of this piece of that. Are you it's so <laughs> graphic and it's so cruel. But they, you get, you do get built up from that. You really do. And I'll tell you something. Years ago, I was at the pool. There were cleaning. There was a cleaning lady there, and I was saying something to my kids. 
And in Hebrew, you know this word, it's an English word, loserim, loserim, loser, okay? So I'm, that's what I call my kids, right? <laughs> Leading ladies like, you should, you know, that is not a nice way to talk to your children. And I was like, what did I say? <laughs> you don't talk like that. Everything here is hamudim, everyone's sweetie pie and all this stuff. I am, you know, I love my kids to death. I mean, big time. All right. But yeah, I joke around like that. That's, that's how I joke around with my own sisters. And I joke around with them and they talk to each other that way. It's very funny, but I think it toughens them up. I, I don't do it on purpose. I, I think it toughens them up. I mean, I'll tell you, I had a very, very, my father had a horrible temper and he used to yell and scream. And I was the only one, I was the only one who would stand up to him. And I remember like I had a boss who once was yelling and screaming. I did, it didn't do anything to me. It rolled right off me. That's so funny. I, we also were fighting. I fought with my siblings a lot when we were little, even until we were in our like twenties. I remember my sister and I had like a all hands out fight over a sweater we both wanted when we were like in college still, but we get along really, really well now. But I, yeah, there is something to be said. You know, I, I don't know how to come out. I mean, I have an all girls family, so it's definitely a lot sweeter. Uh, oh, come on. Not at all. My sister. And I, I hope she doesn't hear this, but I had a crush on this <laughs> boy. Okay. My sister was older than me and she went after that boy. Oh, that's mean. For like six months, we didn't talk. I mean, talk about painful. I have such an armor. I have such a buildup of armor. I mean, like nothing can hurt me now after it's something like that. I, I like hearing that you're you're making that a parallel. First of all, with what you are with your kids, I do think intent has a lot to do with it, right? When you're saying like loser, losering, like it's it's the heart and emotion behind it. It's different than when a parent is being abusive to their kids. And I think kids like really get that and they feel and they sense the yeah. love and they see that you're there. And then the thing that you said about your dad and your boss, you went to a boss and the boss was yelling at you and it didn't matter. I think to myself, like, gosh, I wish today, because I do think that there is, at least in America, I don't know how it is in Israel, there is this very much a victim mentality that I, I've, I've had a tough time and you need to be coddle me and nice to me. And I often think to myself, those difficult times that we had, there's a flip to it that gives us a strength and a medal, right? So someone yells at you when you're young, you made it, you lived through it, guess what? You can make it when somebody else yells at you. I mean, not to say that we should all be jerks to each other and nasty, we should be kind human beings, but when things happen to us, it's not so the end of the world. It is something that gives us the ability to, to persevere and go beyond it. I was teased mercilessly as a kid when I came to America because I was from Iran and I took the American hostages. It was during the Iranian-American hostage crisis. All right. So then when it comes to raising my kids, my kids were not the perfect little specimens when they walked out the door. My stockings had runs in them. Their clothes were messy. And people would say to me, don't you care what the other parents think? And I said, what do I care what they think? I went through being a teenager and they were mean to me. You think I care what adults think of me? That, that mattered, right? <laughs> right. right. So, so like, funny. that's the flip of, you know, having difficulty, but it's <laughs> in your mind frame. I, yeah. I, I completely agree. I had a, I once had a boss say to me, she's like, when I criticize you, you don't ever get upset. 
like it was sort of a bad thing in her mind, you know, like she was looking to make me upset. And I was like, you know, you know, I grew up in a house with a lot of kids. We teased each other. I got five daughters. I can't leave the house without somebody telling me that they don't like my outfit or that I should, you know, change my makeup or God knows what. And so, <laughs> you know, I'm really going to get upset because she says that I have to redo a memo. Okay, I'll redo a memo. Big deal, you know. Right. So uh, right. that was Natalie. I know funny. that you have to leave soon. I think you're on a a time crunch. So I don't know if you want to say any last words, what you think about parenting, Israel, whatever it is, whatever is on yeah, your mind. I, yeah, it's funny because I don't think this would ever fly here. You know, I don't think people talk about parenting and I don't think women, they, I just don't think they do. So I think if you're going to move here and if you live anywhere, I think it's great to make your kids feel strong. And I think it's very important to let them fall down. I I, I don't like this whole protecting, protecting, let them fall down. They're going to get up, you know? And if they don't get up the first time, they'll get up the second time. Like I fell down a ton. I failed so many things, so many things. And if I turned right and I fell, then I got up and I turned left, you know, it's, you know, it's a hard world out there and it's, you know, yeah, it's nice to just have someone tell you how great you are, but the first time you're going to come up to something bad, you want it to be when you're 25 years old. Natalie, this has been so fun and so energizing and also just so entertaining as always oh, hanging out good. with you. Okay. And really thank you so much for the time and thank you thank for you. being such a role model of parenting, of someone who really developed your kids and brought out the best in them, but also let them figure it out on their own quite a lot. So that's awesome. Okay. Great. Well, thanks. Natalie. Good luck with your podcast. Is I, I hope people, you know, want to hear this stuff. <laughs> we hope so I too. I think they do. I think they do. I think in the past people learned from their, you know, they were surrounded by family and community and were able to pick it up from there. And now a lot of people move frequently in America and are isolated or far away from family. And it's not as easy to figure it out. And you have to you have some resources to figure it out on your own. So well, I think people hope to be right. here for. Yeah. That's and I think a lot mean. of people now we're all like, we're all online, right? We live our lives online. So the three of us are the friends and the neighbors to anyone who's listening now, <laughs> share your thoughts. Right. Women have to stick together and help each other out. And right. that's where we are now. That's right. You're doing what people aren't doing. That's, that's true. People are not having these conversations. I guarantee you, they're not having these conversations. Well, they will now. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. Thanks, Natalie. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you Bye -bye. so much, Natalie. This was, it was awesome. Fun. It was fun. Right. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. What did you think of Natalie? I thought she was amazing. It's, you know, I always, one thing I'm struck with my whole life is, this business of wanting to do and be what others have done, right? We all look at someone and say, oh my gosh, I wish I could have done this. I know I could have been this if my life were only different, if I only had this chance or if I had this opportunity, I was being held back. I think a lot of times people think like that in their life. And what I love about Natalie is listening to her tell her story. And she was so forthcoming and genuine and really shared so much of her makes me realize like again and again, I think we always need this reminder that everyone has a path in life, right? Everyone has a direction that they're going. And she shared 
how she was growing up. And then she dated this guy and this guy led her to Israel. And it was out of the blue, but it seems to match so much of her personality and her sense of adventure and independence and being out there that I don't think everyone does. I mean, let's be honest with ourselves. Some of us really love that we have the stability and we are where we are and we are surrounded by the people that we know. And I just love that about Natalie, that you see that she's like that and it's wonderful. And it might not be me. That is may not ever be the life that I live, but I feel so fortunate and blessed that I had a half an hour to chat with her and get a little of her energy. Yeah, she certainly has amazing energy. I feel like the things that she says about her parenting style really resonated with me in many ways. One, the idea that you don't have to be like everybody else. You can do it your own way. Two, that you don't have to fix everything about your kid that someone tells you is wrong. You don't have to think of it as a broken kid. You can think of it as just, they're fine. They're that way. They'll go into themselves in whatever way they do. And I think that that's something that I certainly have thought quite a lot about because we're living in a, in especially in America, in a society where any little thing, you can find a therapist for that. You can fix that little problem. And sometimes it's worthwhile. And, and sometimes you just need that kid to even lean into that problem. And when they get to the other side, it turns out to be their strength. So that was really inspiring. And also, I really loved how she talked about just having like tons of boring, normal time. Just being together is sometimes all you need. You don't need always to have a purpose and an activity and a direction. Sometimes just hanging around is a, the thing that really builds up their connection with each other and their connections with you as parents. And we could all do with a little less worrying about those things. So that I thought was very inspiring. I totally agree with you. And I think it takes a lot of to be able to do that because when we're living our everyday life, right? Not that you want to be like the Joneses, but we're caught up in the system of whatever place and town and world that we're living in. And if that system has your kids, you sign up your kids at nursery school when they're two years old, then you take them to the dance class at four. Then when they're six, you sign them up for the, for the basketball league. And if everybody around you is doing that, I think it takes a lot of strength to say, hey, I just want to hang out with my family or, hey, I'm okay if my kid doesn't get into this camp that all the kids are going to together. So I, I hope to draw from her a lot of that strength because even though our kids are older, I don't think we ever stop needing the strength to be able to accept someone for who they are and support them because on the other end of children growing up, they're now choosing careers and places to live and spouses. And as a parent, though our job is a lot less, I think we need to continue to have the strength of accepting each person to be able to go their own path. Absolutely. I always say to my kids, you know, on the one hand, you really only get 18 years with them at home, or in some cases less as in Natalie's case or my husband's case, but you have that time to try to shape their character and give them that grounding and that strength. But it never stops because your parent is sort of like your Sherpa through life, right? It's always someone who really has your best interest at heart and has done it before, has 20 years experience on you. And, you know, I lost my father a couple of years ago and just recently, like something as stupid as our boiler kept 
going out and we hired three or four different people to take a look at it and everybody said something different and I was just like if only my dad were here he would know the right thing to do and I wouldn't need to be worried like relying on these helpers and it's just it's a dumb thing but you know you really rely on your parents for so much information throughout your life or when I was making a hard decision recently about which job to take and they you know I really wanted to talk to my dad about it because I really wanted his advice and his insight not because he is some amazing job guru, but because he has the advantage of being ahead of me by 25 years in life and seeing that many more things and also knowing me better than anyone else would know me. And I think that's what parents always are for their kids. Even as adults, we know them the best and we have that extra life experience to offer them. And, and I think that that's really what it is about for me. I, you know, one thing I would like to just echo that you said about Natalie is you could see how much she had the willingness from a young age to trust her own instincts, even where they differed from what she was being told around her. From the time she was a little kid, talking back to her parents if they got out, if she felt like they were out of line, to when she was a teenager going and coming to a new country and being willing to sort of see it through her own eyes, not through what anyone else was telling her, but what she drew out of that experience. And I, I feel like what a model for us emotionally and, you know, in terms of our real actions, because I feel that so many people put themselves down or they down that side of themselves, that gut feeling that says, you know what, you don't have to do it the same way. And I myself am trying to lean more into that, figure out what is it that I really want and where do I really want for my kids, for my family, and how do you push yourself to make your own path? And I really appreciated that about Natalie. I hear what you're saying about her. And I just want to say that, yeah, it to trust your own gut feeling, though, doesn't necessarily mean that you'll end up making the same choices in life as Natalie does, right? So I may trust my own gut feeling and decide that I want to go with the crowd because I'm more comfortable like that. She She's very much a person who trailblazes and does her own thing. And she's, we didn't talk about it, but she does a lot of work with Israel Rescue, which it's is- Hatsala Hatsala, Yosh, which is the- rescue organization that works uh, in the Judean Samaria, in the areas, in the sort of what she calls the Jewish heartlands. Which is an incredible profession, right? To go out there and to help people who are rescued and be involved in that. So not everyone who's trusting their gut may necessarily live this life that she has. You may trust your gut and say, hey, I, I like order. I like systems. I like this place the way it is, right? And that's okay. What I like to draw from her is, is that strength, right, that to, to have internally. Uh, one thing that you just said, which I love, and I'm going to take and, and use the imagery of your parents being your Sherpas in life. I think I want to like kind of find that in my own world, words and share it with my kids because it's such a beautiful thing. And I'm not sure that in today's world, we value our parents in that sense. I, I came from Iran and, and I think in traditional Orthodox communities, it's like this, that when an older person walks in the room, you stand up. When your parents walk in a room, you stand up. The rabbi walks in the room, you stand up. You stand up for this incredible respect you have for what they give and what they can offer you. 
But I think today we live in this world where parents are continuously put down. Every show that every kid watches, everything that every teen thinks that they know better than the older generation because we, we're not moving as quickly as they are. But nothing really replaces what you just said, being that Sherpa in life, having that experience, having that best interest in mind for your kid, understanding where your child comes from. So look, you may or may not want to take your parents' advice. It doesn't matter if you're you're 10 or you're 60, right. if God willing, you still have your parents around. You might not want to take it, but it's nice to hear it and see what they have to say. I think that they care for you. If nothing else, hopefully if you are blessed or they're, they're praying for you and sending you good good vibes in whatever way they can even if it's even if it gets mistranslated and they don't know exactly the way to do it for you the love is there right so i love that sherpa imagery <laughs> and i am that is my takeaway <laughs> all right yeah i i you know look your parents aren't going to know everything about your life and neither should they and same thing, your kids are going to have life experiences that they are drawing their own wisdom from that you're not privy to. So they may not take your advice as wise as it may be, but there is no, there is nothing like a loving parent to know you your whole life and to see how you have reacted in so many different contexts. Lori, that's really a, a beautiful way to sum up what parenting is. Our parents truly are our Sherpas in life. We hope that everyone has enjoyed this week's conversation with Natalie. Join us in future episodes of podcasts. We drop them every Thursday. You can find them on Spotify, Anchor, and also on Apple Podcasts. Join us next week. Mamash, there's nothing like it.